Good morning. It's so good to be with you here on our second Sunday together. What a wonderful opportunity. And of all things to start, we begin our annual fund campaign today. I have to tell you, for some, this might be a daunting task, but not at first prez. Bob Smith and his finance committee have done such an excellent job putting this together. The session has stepped up to show their support by already 100% of them pledging and making commitments toward next year's ministry. You make my job just so much easier. I like to think that we're putting fun back in fundraising. Let's pray together. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Now I have to tell you, some people get a little nervous this time of year. They think, oh, it's almost time for the stewardship campaign. It's time we planned a vacation. Well, that's part of the reason why I chose today's sermon title, God Doesn't Want Your Money. I hoped it might help us some of us relax a little, or at least give us a laugh. Indeed, we are kicking off our annual fund campaign today, but there's no reason to pack your brags. Short and sweet, that's the approach this year. Only three Sundays in length. That's right, three Sundays. And the purpose of this campaign is not to pressure or coerce you into giving more money. It's a simple reminder of what this church stands for and has accomplished. We know you appreciate this church and all that it does for us. I love our theme, Faithfully Connected. Because COVID has changed so many of our traditional connections, this year we have to be more creative and more trusting. More trusting of each other and each of you who know the value of this ministry and choose to support it. So put these three Sundays on your calendars and don't plan to any trips. Now you may have noticed that we're not calling it a stewardship campaign this year. We're differentiating between stewardship and the annual fund campaign. Our friends from the Presbyterian Foundation say that if we talked as much about money and possessions as Jesus talked about money and possessions, we would have 37 stewardship sermons a year. 37. Of course, every Sunday is Stewardship Sunday because every day is Stewardship Day. Every day of our lives, we're faced with decisions of how we will respond with what God has given us, our time, our talents, as well as our treasures. Every day is a stewardship day because every day we're stewards. For the annual fund campaign, it's actually pretty simple. The question for the next three weeks is, how much of what I will give back to God this year will I give back to God through this church? Now, every day is not about the annual fund, but every day is about stewardship. Being a steward of God's goods is a big deal, and we want to celebrate that. Today, we begin the annual fund campaign. Our annual fund provides the primary funding for our shared ministry. It's that simple. And the decisions we make will determine what our church does in the coming year. So we want to make sure that we do everything in our power to support it in the coming days. 
but we don't want to think that stewardship is limited to how much money we pledge to the church. Well, one way to think about this is that God does not want all of our money. That we're talking about proportional giving. We give to God first. Now we know this intuitively and we know why, because God gives to us first. God takes the initiative and moves first to us so that we're all invited to respond with offerings and commitments to God. So we don't make our family budget and then figure out how much is left over to give to God. No, that's backwards. We begin by looking at what God has given to us and make that first commitment to God first. And then we work out the rest of our budget with what's left of what God has given us. Ginger and I made a commitment to tithe before we were married, and we made it our practice for 41 years. From those early days when our income stretched to total $15,000 a year, we appreciated the practice and the discipline involved. So we take our compensation, yes, before taxes and withholding and all that stuff, and we set aside the first 10%. And then we make our budget. We give to God first. Now, I personally like the equality of the tithe because the more you receive, the more you get to give. And the less you receive, well, the lesser amount is given, but you still get to give and be a part. Many families think that tithing is the place to begin. So did Jim. He was a member of a congregation long ago. Jim was mildly schizophrenic and a ward of the state, lived in a local nursing center, and he found a place of comfort and service in our church. Well, late one January night, Ginger and I were walking our dogs, and I saw Jim out by the church mailbox. What you doing, Jim? Well, Pastor, I've had the flu and I missed the last couple weeks. I'm feeling better now, so I'm bringing my pledge to the church. Well, after he left, I went by the mailbox and found three little offering envelopes in there, each one containing one quarter. Jim didn't have much, but he was grateful for what he had and he wanted to give back to God, and he could. You see, it isn't the amount that you give. The important part is that you do give, that you give proportionately to what you've been given. Now, very few people begin at a tithe. Some have made too many other commitments that must be honored, and so they begin where they can and commit what they can. Pledging is not tithing. You don't have to tithe in order to pledge. A pledge is not a contract, and so if you don't fulfill it, we're not going to repossess your soul. A pledge is simply giving an estimate of what you will give to the church in the coming year. Writing that number helps our leaders be responsible stewards of our pledges. And what's sacred is not writing down the number, but it's the commitment behind writing down the number. This is the very foundation of all of Christian faith and practice, commitment. Commitment transforms our connections. It transforms life and everything in it. 
Commitment forms our walking with God from baptism through confirmation, through learning, and through service. Everything we do in the Christian life is better if we make a commitment at the beginning and then spend all of our other time fulfilling that commitment. It gives us skin in the game. It makes everything real, a place to become, a place to belong. If you only hear one thing over the next three weeks, please let it be this. It is my deepest hope and prayer that every family in this church would make a financial commitment to this congregation in the form of a pledge. If you've never made a pledge before or given in a measurable way, begin this year. Take a card, go online, and write down a number. Pledge some amount, even if it's a quarter a week. If you've never given before, consider $10 a week. And if that's too much, do $5 a week or $1 a week. And if it's not enough, look at $20 a week or $50. It isn't so much about the amount, but pledge some amount and make a commitment to God and let that commitment begin to transform you. Jesus doesn't really talk much about tithing. He's got his, set, his sights set on things much higher than that. In our message today, he was talking about being prepared, about thinking about the future and making commitments now so that you don't get surprised later on. Jesus always set his sights beyond 10%. He never settled for the requirements of the law. He was always looking beyond it for what the law was designed to spark in people. Namely, that everything we have and are belongs to God and is entrusted to us by God for a time. And therefore, let's use it wisely. Let's be prepared. Let's use it in ways that bring life and wholeness to us and to others around us. Jesus never settled for 10%. He wants it all. He wants all of you and me. He wants all of us. Caroline told me about Anna. Anna volunteers and receives help from a local food ministry in downtown Philadelphia. Everybody loves Anna because she's so caring and always watching out for other people. But she always seems to need a bus token. Why? Because every time she receives one, she ends up giving it to somebody else. And when she's told to keep one for herself, Anna will almost always say, that other person needs it more than I do. And this brings us around to Paul, who writes to the Philippian church, one of his favorite congregations. Paul writes to encourage them to work through their divisions and be united in the one who calls them together. Jesus the Christ, who came and lived a life of selfless love for others, who gave everything he was for, the sake, for our sakes and our souls, and who expects all of his followers to live their lives with the same kind of humility and self-giving love. And here near the end of his letter, Paul urges them to stand firm in the Lord. 
and to rejoice in the Lord always because this is the source of their blessing. Listen. Rejoice. Let me say it again. Rejoice in the Lord because what God has given you is greater than anything you can amass on your own. Rejoice because you have been chosen to be part of God's people on earth, the church of Jesus Christ. Rejoice because when you do, the peace of God, which is beyond all our understanding, will surround you and give you perspective for the living of the rest of your life. Maybe a more accurate title for today's sermon might be, God doesn't want just your money. We are entrusted for a sacred purpose. In God's plan, we are God's instruments of dispersal for a world of people in need of stability, of hope, of peace, of joy. We may begin the annual fund campaign today, but the stewardship campaign began long ago. It began before Paul wrote these words to the church at Philippi. It began before Jesus told the parable of the wedding feast. Stewardship has been an integral part of God's plan from the very beginning because God doesn't just want our money. What God really wants is you and me and us together. Friends, this really is good news. So rejoice and live. Amen.